Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Let's thank Him for His goodness today. Is He worthy? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, come on, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Hallelujah. Welcome to everyone joining us online as well. Happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is risen, amen? amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before we move into what we're going to do in our first half, I want us to pray. <clears throat> um, Finn this morning had an allergic reaction. This is Pastor Lucas and Sister Alicia's youngest boy, and he is presently on his way to Children's Hospital. We're going to pray that God will not only heal, but make him whole. Amen? amen. So can we stand together and pray and believe in Jesus' name? Lord, we know that you're the healer. We know that you can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And Lord, I pray according to the book of Acts 9 and 34, Jesus Christ makes you whole. I pray for a wholeness today in Finn's body right now. Not just a healing, Lord, but do a miracle in his life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Restore his breathing functions. Restore, Lord, everything back to its normal places in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's clap our hands again and bless the Lord. Praise God, praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. We're doing things a little bit different today, but I'm asking Sister Julie Cooper to come. She's going to open with a testimony. We've been doing them at the end, uh, but uh, she's also a, one of our Sunday school teachers, and so she's going to testify first. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. <laughs> um, I'm very nervous and have absolutely no idea how to start this off, so I'm just going to kind of jump into it. Let's go. Okay. Um, so when I was 12, we moved to Brazil. Um, and about nine months after we had moved there, I was 13. And um, at around 5 o'clock in the morning, a, a group of men came to our house and knocked on our door. And we let one of them in um, because he was dressed, he was very convincingly dressed, in police attire and said he was a policeman. And he was talking to us and, and asking us a bunch of questions. And finally, once it got to the point where it was too late for us to get them out of our home because we didn't have any guns or, or we weren't you know, um, prepared for this kind of situation, um, they, they all came in. There was about five of them. And they took us upstairs into my parents' room and sat us down and began interrogating us and began saying, give us your safe, give us all of the money that's in the safe. We know you have one. We did not, we did, there was no safe. The safe did not exist. <laughs> so they were threatening us. They said that they were gonna start with the youngest one. They were gonna start killing the children and killing them in front of us if we didn't give them the safe. And they were gonna start from the youngest and then just keep on going up until we gave up this fake safe. It just, it didn't exist. Um, and so after, this went on for about two and a half hours them waving guns around and threatening us and, and you know, telling us they're gonna kill us and blah, 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 and, and yelling and all of this stuff. So about two and a half hours later, finally they were like, okay, enough. They were very frustrated. <laughs> they were very frustrated. So they took us into a different room and began tying us up. And then finally the, the main man stood back and said, you know what, we're not gonna kill you. Our usual plan is to go into the house, kill the family, and take whatever we want. 
but we're not going to do that here. And then they left. <laughs> and so I just thank God for his protection. And I thank everyone that's given their testimony up until now. And I thank Brother Powell for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Aren't you thankful God protects us in many and different situations? Amen. I'm glad God protected them as well. Amen. And brought them safely out. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, please join me. And I'm going to take us to the book of Romans. Amen. Romans chapter number 5. Romans 5. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 6. It says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And just for a little while, I'm going to minister on this subject and topic. He took my place. Amen. Lord, thank You for all that you've already done and are doing. Thank you that you did die, but rose again. And I pray today you would open our understanding to comprehend your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And would you say amen? amen. God bless you. You could be seated. As a part of this Encounters with Jesus series we've been doing, let me say again, one encounter with Jesus is enough to transform your life forever. One encounter with Jesus turns mistakes into miracles, pain into purpose, and turmoil into a testimony. And haven't we enjoyed all these testimonies so far? Amen? All four gospel writers and Peter refer to Barabbas and the account of him being released and Jesus being crucified. Matthew calls Barabbas a notorious prisoner, which is defined as infamous. And that's not a good word, by the way. Barabbas was well known for his sinful, wicked, and abominable deeds. He's not someone you would want to emulate. Mark indicates that Barabbas was chained with his fellow rebels. In other words, like a chain gang. He was so evil and there were so many of them that had been arrested. He also, Mark also reports and records that he had committed murder in the insurrection or the rebellion. John just simply calls him a robber and Peter calls him a murderer. His name might be one of the most nondescript names of anyone in the Bible. Barabbas or Bar-Abbas means son of a father. Well... Every man here today is the son of a father. That's a very nondescript name. Now, if I said, you know, Sam, right? There's a Sam. But if I said, hey, 
Would the son of a father please stand? Very nondescript. But isn't it interesting that the son of God was about to take the place of a nondescript son of a father? I've often wondered about Barabbas' encounter with Jesus. This series has been all about and going to continue through the month of April being about those individuals who had an encounter with Jesus. And our testimonies are reflecting that as well. I wish today I could travel back in time. I, I wish that I could get in Wit's time machine and press the red button and go back to the time of Barabbas and talk to him and interview him and, and find out all that was going on. I know that based upon who he was, he would have been knowledgeable of Pilate's releasing of a prisoner once a year. But I bet he would have never guessed he would be the one released. He was hated by the Jews, hated by the Romans. And as indicated by all the writers, the four gospel writers and Peter, he was a wicked sinner who robbed, murdered, and committed abominations. So you can imagine... When the soldiers went to his cell and said, hey, we're bringing you out. It's, it's time. And Pilate's going to release a prisoner. You, they've picked me. I'm going to be the one. Rele yeah, there's, there's two of you. They're going to release one of you. I, I can imagine that Barabbas might have been thinking, well, surely it won't be me. And, and possibly when he saw Jesus, possibly if, he, if there was any interaction that he had heard him speak or had talked with him or, or, or even had heard about him. I, I seriously doubt Barabbas would have thought, well, I'm going to be the one released and not him. I, I can guarantee you he's thinking, I'm going to be going back to jail and that man's going free. And so I have to wonder what went through his mind when all of a sudden the crowd cried for the release of Barabbas. I can imagine he was confused thinking, what? You don't want that man? You want me to be released? I'm a murderer. I'm a robber. I'm a thief. I'm the one that can be released? And it's very possible as he was being unchained and was released to go. Imagine as he heard Pilate say, well, what of Jesus? And the crowd began to yell, crucify. I, I, again, I don't know for sure, but... I have to wonder, did he then pause and say, crucify? What did that man do? I'm a murderer. I'm a robber. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a wicked abomination. What did he do? I have to wonder. This Barabbas heard them. Did he stay around? Did, did he linger? Did he, did he observe the events of Good Friday and... Did he observe all that took place? I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. In fact, this is the last we hear of Barabbas other than Peter preaching about him in Acts chapter 3. We do know this though. We do know that on the cross there were two thieves and one of them, both of them had railed on Jesus and one of them repented and made the choice to ask Jesus to let him be in paradise. We do know that a centurion realized that this was truly the Son of God. So it's possible that there might have been something touched the heart of Barabbas. We won't never know for certain. 
But I can tell you this, I'm just like Barabbas. I know what I've done, the wicked, abominable deeds that I've done. I, I can't tell you what Barabbas thought. I can only surmise. I can only guess. And since I'm the one on the microphone right now and I'm the one preaching, I, I get to be the one to maybe paint that picture. But I don't know for sure. There's not a history book. There's not a record anywhere. There's supposition, but there's no evidence of what might have happened to him. But I know what happened to Myron. You see, Jesus took my place too. I was the one that should have been crucified, not him. The wages of sin is death. I deserved death. I can't afford to atone for my sin. I can't study enough to figure out how to find a loophole somewhere to get out of my sin. I don't have enough friends in high places to try to get me, you know, uh, off in some court of law. The penalty of my sin was that I needed to die. But Jesus took my place. I'll never forget that night. I was nine years old. And if I could just paint the picture for you, I was raised in church. And being raised in church, I had heard all the preaching about trumpets and the light shining and Jesus coming and the clouds splitting and all of this. And we lived at the end of a cul-de-sac and my room, my window was right across the street from a football stadium, a high school football stadium. And this particular night, dad had gone and taken mom to, or went to pick up mom from work and I'm at home alone and I'm playing with my G.I. Joe or Legos or something. I don't know what I was playing with, but I was in my room playing. All of a sudden, the band started playing in the, in the football stadium and all the lights come on. And of course, the light filled my room and trumpets and lights and mom and dad are not in the house. And you can imagine a nine-year-old boy started freaking out. And I did. I started blood-curdling screams. My God, I missed the rapture. Ah! I was screaming. I was making deals with God if he would just turn around and come back and get me. I'd be nice to everybody. I would, you know, I'd love my sister. I would, whatever it took, please come and get me. Don't let me go to hell. And it's so much so that when my mom and dad pulled in the driveway, they heard me screaming and crying out. They thought, like Julie's testimony, they thought somebody was in the house, you know, interrogating me and murdering me or something. And mom and dad came running in and realized it was just, you know, after I told them all had happened and. It was the very next, that was a Saturday night. It was Sunday night in the revival, which was the last night of the revival, kind of like today's the last service of the revival. I went down to the front, to the left-hand side of the uh, pulpit. I'm like, Jesus, I want the Holy Ghost. I want to go to heaven. <laughs> and God filled me with the Holy Ghost that morning, nine years old. The next day, at, I went to a private school. The next day at private school, I told the, the uh, pastor there, uh, the, the principal, I said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And I was baptized. That was in May of 1982 that that happened. I thank God for that. Praise the Lord. But you know what? I didn't live a perfect life. I didn't get baptized and get the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden just become sinless. I have erred many times since then. I have fallen many times since then. I have sinned and come short of the glory of God many times since then. And, and I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, bore you with all the gory details of, of what I've done. Just suffice it to say, 
I still don't deserve Calvary. I still don't deserve what he did. I still don't deserve his grace and his mercy. But I'm thankful that he gave it. And I'm thankful that every time I fell, I could get back up again. I could pray and say, Jesus, forgive me. Because a just man falls seven times and rises up again. Hallelujah. And therefore, I'm reaching for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I'm getting back up and saying, Lord, if you'll help me, I'm going to do better. I'm going to go forward. And as we heard preach last night, I'm not just going to have a breakthrough and go back to those chains, but I'm going to have an environment change. Amen. You heard me preach about that uh, demoniac a few weeks ago. How that he did go and testify because when Jesus went back on the other side of the lake, people knew about him. People had heard about him. And people were wanting to be prayed for. People were wanting to be, they wanted to touch the hem of his garment. So he had helped to spread the news. And that's what I'm doing here today, spreading the news that Jesus saves. And so if you're here and you've fallen, I've got good news. You can get back up. If you're here and you've sinned, I've got good news. Jesus still forgives sin. He didn't come in 1982 that night in, in my bedroom, and he, he hasn't come yet. And he's, he's not coming back until some other things take place according to his timetable. And here's the reality. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. And if you want to be saved, today's your day. You can be baptized in His name. You can repent. You can be filled with His Spirit. Today is your day. Praise God. I'm not perfect. I know that. My daughter used to think I was until she realized I couldn't put her dollies back together. I'll never forget the day I went from being daddy to dad. You know. My son knows I'm not perfect. That happened many years ago. My wife, well, I still don't know why she said yes. You know. You know, best question I ever asked, but, you know, I married up. But I know I'm not perfect, but I know I am forgiven. And that's what matters. Praise God. I'm asking uh, Matthew and Jessica, they're going to come, and they're going to share some testimonies today as well. And appreciate them uh, sharing. So, looks like Jessica's going to go first. Amen. Are you enjoying these testimonies? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you. All right. I'm going to try to do this without crying. But it's unlikely because I'm already getting choked up. <laughs> also, I don't like speaking in front of people. I don't really like speaking to people in general. So this is a lot. So, okay. I've had the great privilege of growing up in ap the apostolic faith for all my life. I'm a fourth generation apostolic and I'm grateful for the heritage that God has given me and now my children. <sighs> growing up, I knew God and I felt his presence and I went to church every single time the doors were open. I was heavily involved in several ministries because my parents were and I was content with the Sunday Wednesday relationship I had with God. At the age of 14, my world turned upside down. A person I had once considered a friend began sexually abusing me. At the beginning, I fought back. However, after being hurt particularly badly and threatened, 
uh, with her telling everyone in our church that I was a willing participant, I stopped fighting. You see, my parents took the time to teach me the beauty and purity. And until that point, I had never done anything physical with anyone else. Fearing that I would get in trouble or la labeled as gay because my abuser was a female, and I was very terrified of disappointing my parents, so I decided to tell nobody. I came to church every Sunday and Wednesday knowing that the likelihood of me being assaulted was very high. I was supposed to feel safe and loved and comforted at church, but instead I felt dread and nauseated and bound. During this time, I felt into fell into complete depression and at times was suicidal. But every time I made a plan or tried to carry anything out, I was stopped by one thing or another. My life felt hopeless and I saw no way out. But it was, some of these, it was during some of these lowest points of my life that I had some of the most real interactions with God. I had no strength to compose eloquent prayers. And instead I would just tell God through the tears that I just needed someone to hold me. And I would just cry in his presence. One day while I was in the car with my mom, she turned to me and said, sometimes when people are drowning, they get this like one last adrenaline rush and they're able to push themselves to the surface. She said, Jessica, I feel like we're all just watching you drown. And I really just hope it, that you find it in yourself to push your way out. That day I told God that if he made a way for me to get out of this situation, that I would take it. And I'm not sure if it was weeks or months because to be honest, God has been so merciful and blocked a lot of that out. <laughs> but one Wednesday in October of 2008, after two years of abuse, God opened the door for me and I ran through it. I was finally free but I was very broken. Now that I was finally out of survival mode, my head began to process all of the pain that I had endured. I had such terrible PTSD that I hated being touched. I couldn't stand to be hung, hugged, and I was very jumpy and I had frequent nightmares. My parents assured me that God would heal and restore everything that had been taken from me. In his infinite mercy, Day by day, God began to heal the hurt and brokenness I held on to for so long. One of the final parts of the healing process was God changing the way I saw myself after everything that had happened. I knew that God loved me and that he forgave me and that he was still willing to use me, but I saw myself as damaged, unworthy of good things, and tainted. In a dreaded conversation with my boyfriend, I told him everything that had happened because I felt like it was something he needed to know before the relationship went any further. I told him that I was okay with the fact that I was damaged goods and that I hoped it wouldn't change anything between us. That day, Matthew said something to me that changed my life forever. He told me that he didn't think less of me because of what had happened. If anything, he thought more of me and admired my strength and that it took to make to the other side. He didn't know it, but tears began to stream down my face on the other side of that phone. I began to realize that if he could see me that way, that God did too. And if they both thought that I was something worthwhile and something to be desired, something worth having, that I should maybe start trying to believe that as well. God took a really terrible situation and turned it into an, opportun an opportunity for me to know him for myself. 
beyond what my parents had taught me. To connect with other people who have been in similar situations and to show me his never-ending love and mercy. And I know a lot of other people have said this, but the Church of Omaha is a really great place to come and heal. And I'm really grateful. So thankful for God's healing and deliverance. Amen. Matthew is coming in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So, uh, I like things to be structured. I like things to be numbered, go in a certain way. And so, um, I feel like that my, I mean, I've been, since Brother Kyle asked me to talk about this, and I mean, it's also just been throughout life, you know, kind of thinking back on events and how things end up or get you to where you're at, I don't think it really makes a lot of sense. It doesn't seem to be very numbered or very ordered. Um, but I just wanted to share some of the life events, I think, that have, that have brought me brought me here um, so also yeah I was um, I'm also uh, raised in church uh, several generations on on each side of the family um, and like just that that meant that was very very involved in in uh, so many church activities and I'll, always at church youth events whatever those kind of things growing up um, but just because you're involved in a lot of activities and a lot of things doesn't necessarily mean that you have a great relationship with God and um, so yeah, I found kind of uh, at the look at in kind of late high school, going into or in going into undergraduate, um, I ended, I got involved in the sound ministry actually, and and our church just so happened to be the way it was set up, the the kind of the building building itself. You had this main congregation, but then the sound booth was actually up on this second floor, and you were all by yourself up there, um, and it was a large enough ledge that when you sat down at the at the at the uh, computer because there's also the video stuff was up there or at the soundboard nobody could see you which at that time in my life was like kind of the perfect thing because I could just I could just go up there and hide and and so but I, what I found though is just there was so much emptiness inside that what I, I would come to church and I'd turn on the sound equipment and I'd kind of mix the equipment while we were while during song service and then usually I'd lay down and I'd take a nap for, for uh, preaching, and I would just sleep through preaching, and that's kind of how how things went for a few years. Um, and then, you know, so I, I, I end up moving away um, to go uh, go to graduate school in another state, and, um, and so then I'm out of the house for the first time, and so no longer am being forced to go to church. Um, and so really, I just, I just, stopped I stopped going or it was a slow process and 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 stopped going um, but at the but but then so this is kind of where some of the things start where just these little failures that happen and and kind of humbling myself and and God humbling me and bringing me bringing me to places to where no longer looked so much internally but but start looking um, externally to God um, so um, high school and, and undergraduate um, um, had been pretty easy things for me. Um, I had, had done very well academically, um, but then uh, going to medical school, I, there had not been you know, uh, really the first one out of the family to go to, under, go to college at all. 
and so there was no really anybody helping me out or telling me how things were going to be. And so those, like the first, like we did this orientation thing, and they're and they're the people up front. They're telling you how hard it's going to be and how much you have to study and all these things. And and I just remember thinking, like, no, I this has never been, you know, academics have never been something that's hard for me. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't need to do this. Maybe like these other people need to do these kind of things, but this is not something that I'm going to have to do. Um, well, I got a rude awakening. Um, so. How, our, how the schooling worked was you would do five weeks of classes and then you'd do a week of test and then that process kind of repeated itself. And so our first five weeks, we did five weeks of classes, then we took the week of tests and we took nine tests in that first week and I failed five of them. Um, and from coming from something where these, these you know, academics had not been something that was challenging, challenging for me to all of a sudden that was just a huge slap in the face and a, and a massive failure. And, and I just, it, for me, that was such a huge thing, just th that failure that I, I do not take, or I don't do failure very well. And that really humbled me, and you would think that that would be something that would really, again, uh, I think, cause me to, to, to not trust so much in myself, but to begin to begin to trust in God. And I think at that time, the Lord was starting to work on me again and, and, hopefully, and try to set me in the right direction, but... But I had to have some more failures before really, hopefully, figuring things out a little bit better. And so went through schooling, um, end up, you know, f figuring out you know, that I had to study a lot and end up studying and, and brought things back. But then um, kind of how, how, how medical school works is that the, the first three years you, you, you do all kind of the required things and then the last year is where you sort of do things that, you, that you, uh, you're trying to see if this is what you want to do. But eventually what, what you have to do is um, there's this thing called the match, and that's where, because uh, just because you finish medical school doesn't mean that you can practice medicine. You, still, you have to then do what's called a residency in order to get a license. And so you can finish medical school, and, and that, that is not, it's not really beneficial to you because you can't actually work yet. Um, and so uh, the thing called the match is where you... All the, everybody, all the medical students in the whole country, um, you submit, you, you, well, you go on these interviews to different places that have residency programs, and it's usually, it's within the, the specialty you want to practice in, which may be pediatrics, or it may be um, internal medicine, which is like adult medicine, or emergency medicine, something like that, and so you go on these different interviews, and then you go onto a website, and you rank which one you want to go to as the top, and then, you know, kind of work your way down. And then also everywhere that you've interviewed at, those places will also rank all the people that they've interviewed. And eventually on, this, on the day called the match day, the computer system lines you up with wherever you're going to go. And, and so it, it matches you to your top place, but also to, their, to the places that have interviewed everybody, it matches their top people. Um, well, I sort of, I liked everything um, going through school. Um, and so I had kind of changed multiple times what I thought that I wanted to do. And eventually I settled on a surgical subspecialty, which um, based off of my grades that I had achieved before, you know, when I said I had failed those tests, was not something that, there, there are certain ones that it, it all, it's all about your grades. It's all about how, what, how high your grades are, like that's a big part of if you're gonna get, a, get into one of those spots. Um, 
Mine weren't all that great, and they weren't good enough to go into those things, but I didn't realize that at the time. Or I didn't, I think I realized it, but I didn't want to realize it. Um, and so when the match came and the match went, I found myself unmatched, um, which meant that you're kind of in limbo. Um, you have nowhere to go. And again, like I said, you, you've, you've finished medical school, you're gonna graduate uh, with quote unquote being a doctor, but you can't actually do anything with that. You can't, you can't find a job, you can't work anywhere, you can't get a license in a state. And so again, you're just, you're just in limbo. Um, well, so I end up do what uh, it's called a scramble where you try to, f you call around to places and you see if anybody is willing to take you. And if, if anybody has any spots that are open. Um, and I did find a place in uh, New Mexico uh, where it was a spot that was outside of a residency program, so it meant that it really wasn't gonna count for anything. Um, you would get paid some while you were there, but you'd have to reapply. And it was if they liked you, then they would keep you around maybe the next year, but nothing was guaranteed. Well, so I moved to New Mexico, um, didn't know a single person, didn't know anybody, and, and this was working in a, uh, in a surgical, su surgical subspecialty, which meant that I was usually working for about, for two weeks straight, and then I would have a weekend off, and then two weeks straight and a weekend off. And during that time, you're taking, taking call, which was usually like a 36-hour shift about every fourth day or every fifth day. Um, and I just found myself absolutely hating life, hating all those things, sink, sunk deeply into depression. And again, just, just such feeling like such a failure. Um, I ended up saying this, I, this was just not for me and after two months, actually like two and a half months, I quit and I uh, just decided to move back home with my parents. And so I returned to Arizona just with my head, head as low as it could be, um, such a failure, just feeling like such a failure. Um, and it was really during that, during that year, so I had several months, six to seven months to where I needed to figure out again what, what was gonna happen with me, where I was taking my life to. And really during that time is when being that humbled, finally had reached the lowest point that I, that I needed to reach, that um, is when God reached down to me and, and I recommitted myself and, and decided that, hey, you know, I, I can pursue these things and these things, these things, they mean things, you know, to the world, but they don't, they don't mean anything to salvation and and they don't, mean into, they don't mean things to me, they don't define who I am, um, especially in God's eyes. Um, and so anyways, I recommitted myself and, and, then, and then picked myself back up and decided to go into pediatrics, but, but then again, I wanted to share another life thing because like I said, you, you have these, these multiple episodes of failure and, and they kind of hopefully will bring you to a better place and, and that's actually what brought us here was again, I um, completed training and took a job in Texas and we thought the job was gonna be, we thought we were gonna be living in Texas forever and that was, we thought that was gonna be the, the end all and, and after two and a half years there, the job just fell through that some politics within the hospitals themselves had just completely dried up the patients and so out of nowhere really, I mean, maybe we could have seen it coming but, uh, but it felt like it was out of nowhere to us I lost my job and, and now it's, you know, I've got a family that's dependent upon me and children and all these other things that, again, just feel like such a failure, such a failure, so humbled. Um, and then so we started looking for other jobs and, and really, I, like, 
the job that I ended up finding here was not something that I was even, I mean, I saw it on paper. It looked really good on paper. It was like, wait, I don't want to live in the Midwest. Like, why do we want to go? Yeah, and, and, um, and so actually we interviewed at other places, and this one just didn't even come with me to this job because we thought, again, we thought it wasn't going to work as well because we thought we couldn't find a church that was close by because my job's actually an hour and a half north. Um, but then I came and interviewed, and it was like, man, this, it just doesn't make sense that this great of a job, that God would show me this is such a great job, and then it just, there's no way that it's going to work out for us. Um, and so it was after thinking about it and praying about it, we're like, oh, well, hey, how about we live down in Omaha? We'll go to a church in Omaha, and then I can commute to my work um, when I have to. And, and so that's why we end up here. And really, this has been the... Uh, uh, you know, like I said, I've grown up in church. This is definitely the best church that I've ever attended. Um, and it's been the, I feel the most connected and it's been the most beneficial to my life. Um, and so I would just say, yeah, God leads you through all these things. And he, and he, and it's, and it's kind of, he, you know, it's, it's person to person. You know, I haven't had to experience the, th- some, the, the things that other people have testified have, but, I, but, but for me as the person, failure was, it, it was something so devastating. Um, it took me to my lowest place. Um, and so I think, yeah, God tailors, tailors things to us or trials to us to help us grow as individuals. Um, but anyways, thank you. Amen. I, I love the, the beauty of each of these testimonies and I love how... Through each one of them, God has shown us how he takes us, merges our lives together, fulfills his will. There's all different walks of life and backgrounds that we've come from. Amen. But isn't it good to know that God loves all of us? Amen. You know, as we we come to this Easter Sunday, and last year you might recall we, most of us, were having to watch online and live stream services. It was, it was Easter in, in lockdown, all right? I'm just glad to know that a lockdown never kept him in a grave, though. <laughs> but I, I want to share this with you as we think on this day and as we get ready to, to go into our second half. We're going to open second half with communion, by the way, and ushers are going to be standing at the door. So if you, when you go out or come back in, if you want to get your communion cup ready, uh, and for our guests, if you feel comfortable, I'm comfortable with you receiving communion as well. But we'll do it together at the beginning. And parents, it's, it's, I leave that up to you with your children. Okay, But let me say this in regard to our testimonies. When we find the Bible opening in the, in the book of Genesis chapter 4, it was one lamb for one man, Abel. Later in the book of Exodus... Just before they leave Egypt, it was one lamb for one family. When they get into the wilderness, it becomes a lamb for a nation. One nation. But I love when John the Baptist looks and he sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just a man. Not just one family and not just one nation, but everybody. And so no matter what your testimony is or where you've come from, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the world. Can we stand together and love Him and bless Him? Can we clap our hands and thank Him for His goodness? Thank Him for His truth. God, we love You and praise You. We bless You and adore You. Hallelujah. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Again, for all of our guests, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. Those of you online, we welcome you. We're going to take about a 10-minute break. Please come back and be ready. Grab your communion. God bless you in the name of Jesus.